Couldn't fit it in, but that was one of the hymns that I would like to have fit into the service as well, and I know you knew that as we worked through it together, so thanks for putting it as the offertory. Uh, if you have got your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to open up with me uh, to 1 Corinthians 12 this morning. If you would like to use uh, the blue Bibles in front of you, uh, page 959, or our passage for the sermon is also found in your bulletin. And today, we are concluding this brief series on the spiritual disciplines, those practices, those habits that are given to us in the Word of God and practiced by the church throughout the ages so that we, the people of God, might grow. We are commanded to grow, that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, these practices are given to us. We've had five or four sermons uh, thus far, and the fifth today. In the first, we looked at what undergirds all of the disciplines that we've talked about, and that is this call that we find in Peter to make every effort. That's how we should approach these disciplines and growth in our Christian lives. And then we've looked at three disciplines thus far. The discipline of cogitation, which is developing a biblical mindset and learning to think and set our minds or, or gird up the loins of our minds is how scripture instructs us in terms of following after God. The second thing that we looked at was the discipline or disciplines, you can say it, of mortification and vivification. That is to say, in this process of growing in Christ-likeness or growing in godliness, we are to be continually, to the end of our days, putting off the old man, the old self, the vices that used to characterize us, used to own us, frankly, and putting on, bringing to life, more uh, vivifying, those qualities of God himself that are given to us in Scripture, that are part of the character of God, that are part of the fruit of the Spirit, we are to be putting those things on. And then last week as we were together, we looked at the discipline of evangelization to say that all of these things are not merely for us internally, although they are and for our relationship with God, but also our focus is on a people who have received good news and then who give that good news out to the world as well. It would be nice to think that that happened automatically, that we wouldn't have to discipline ourselves to do that. But in fact, a little bit of discipline helps in that effort. Otherwise, we just don't get around to it, was kind of the, the thrust of last week's sermon. So this week, and for the final one in this series, we come to the discipline of participation. And in order to organize our thoughts on this discipline of participation, I have chosen what I suppose is one of the absolute classic texts uh, on this theme from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians and in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is talking of the oneness that we have in Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. The Spirit has united us to Christ and united us to one another as well. And then in addition to that, the Spirit of God has distributed amongst you, amongst us, various gifts for the building up of the body of Christ to be able to serve one another as members of the body or as parts of the body. Enough intro. Uh, this is the living word of the living God given to us by the very spirit of life. Give your attention to it beginning in verse 12. 
For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. Lord, thank you for the beauty of your word. Thank you for the perfections of your word, and thank you for the presence of your spirit to take these words and to apply them to our hearts and our lives. Spirit of God, do so once again today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Perhaps it is the case that the word participation has fallen onto hard times in our generation. Uh, I'm thinking in particular of participation trophies. Participation trophies have become symbolic, right? They're, they're symbolic of a minimal effort or at least effort that wasn't very successful. And in fact, sometimes you hear uh, the, this idea of participation trophies held up as representative of the very decline of America. The fact that there is such a thing as a participation trophy is held up as that which is uh, pulling down our nation from striving or from making every effort on an individual basis. But that notwithstanding, if you will allow me one sermon to try to rehabilitate this word, or at least rehabilitate it for at least the sake of this sermon, and then you may 
substitute whatever word you think is a better word for it uh, in your own lives as we conceive of that, then I think it will help us. Here you go. Here's your theme. We are parts of the body of Christ, and as such, we are called to participation. Last week, I gave the sermon in as short a form as I could, and I've already now said it in the introduction. The idea was, we have received good news, we should share good news. This week, this is your, this is your total theme of the sermon. We are parts of the body of Christ, and as such, we are called to participation. We are the fellowship of the King. The fellowship of the King. On the front of your bulletin uh, this morning, I put another classic verse, uh, Acts 2, 42, that description we find there of the early church. We read this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. I just love the way in, in the case of, well, all of them, but in particular this morning, the fellowship, that it's written with an article. It's a noun. They devoted themselves not just to fellowship, the verb, but they devoted themselves to the fellowship. And I like the, the ring that they have. And, and what I want to notice about that in particular is that they were not simply uh, de facto part of the fellowship. Uh, they were not statically part of the fellowship, but instead they were devotedly part of the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. And if you take that word apart, this idea of devoting themselves, they're, they're, they're steadfastly committed to the fellowship. They're continually, they're perseveringly committed to the fellowship. And in, in other words, being a part of the fellowship begat the discipline of participation. And this discipline involves decisions to be part of it, and then more decisions and commitment and more commitment, willingness, and then acting on your willingness to do something. It takes energy. It takes time. In other words, it takes devotion to be part and participating in the fellowship. Uh, a few years ago, I, just recently, within probably the past two or three years, Sinclair Ferguson wrote a wonderful little book called Devoted to God's Church. I'd love to figure out a way uh, for somehow to work through that, and maybe we will in the next year or so. But in any case, Devoted to God's Church, and obviously the Devotion Act idea is picked up right here uh, from this Acts 2.42 passage, but in the very first chapter, as he's talking about what does it mean to be devoted to God's church, he gives an illustration whereby he talks about what it takes to be a member of a rotary club. Okay, now I've never been a member of a rotary club, so this is just taking uh, Ferguson's word for it. But at the end of the chapter, he has actually printed there the rules for attendance with respect to being a member of the rotary club. And it's like three or four pages of rules with respect to attendance. And the point that he's making is simply this. If people are that devoted to the rotary club, whatever it is that rotary clubs do, how much more, how much more should we be devoted to the church of the living God? It's a wonderful little book if you have time to read it. If you were a member of the Fellowship of the Ring, 
then you were expected to know your role. You had a responsibility, and everybody expected you to do your part. Participation in the fellowship of the ring was a requirement. So too, so too, the fellowship of the king. Now let's begin then today in looking at 1 Corinthians 12 here with the most profound truth that is at the core of all that Paul is saying here, and we'll work our way out from there, but it's found in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Uh, the, uh, the men of the church have been on Saturday mornings once a month studying C.S. Lewis's uh, collection of essays called The Weight of Glory, and one of the essays contained in that book is called uh, Membership. And here's what Lewis writes in that. I will quote from it later as well. He writes, the Christian is called not to individualism, but to membership in the mystical body. And then having written that statement, having made that statement, Lewis goes on to lament what he sees as the way that the word membership has kind of become emptied, at least of its force and of its power. And the idea that he presents is that when we think of the term membership, we think of it in a very low way. We, we tend to think of it as a collection of things that are very similar, who are interested in the same thing. So the members of a class are people who have the same class, have the same teacher, uh, and all are probably roughly close to the same age as one another. Whereas the biblical understanding of membership is in fact quite organic, and I'm using the word organic here very deliberately because, as, as I trust is clear in what we've just read uh, here in 1 Corinthians 12, when you're talking about a member, Paul's not talking about something abstract, he is talking about a body part. He's talking about an organ, a, a particular part of our body. That is what a member actually is. And as a body part, it is different than other body parts are organ, and yet it is essentially linked to the other organs or the other parts. That's the point of Paul's analogy here. Every part is not an eye or an ear, but every part is fundamentally and essentially part of the whole because they are part of Christ himself. So there's no excess in that. There's, there's nobody that's not needed as a part of the body of Christ. We are brought into the body of Christ and made organically a part of that body. I'm going to flip over. I'm going to read uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 16, two chapters before where we are, where Paul gets at this idea uh, very appropriately, thinking about the Lord's Supper. So this is, this is verse 16 of chapter 10. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? The Spirit of God 
has brought us into participation. And that's a, obviously just a translation of a word there, but the idea is the Spirit of God has brought us into fellowship with Christ Himself, into connection, membership, or oneness into this body of Christ. Now, the implications of having said that, that we are one with Christ, that Christ is in us and we are in Christ, they're staggering, right? You could, you could say that all of the benefits, all of the blessings that we have in our life flow out of that idea, but as today we're looking at this idea of the discipline of participation, let me just try to extract only one thing out of that. It is this, any participation that we may do as a particular part of the body of Christ is participation that flows from the fact that by grace, through faith, we are a part of Jesus. We are a part of Jesus himself. Say it a different way. We don't participate in order to earn some kind of partnership share. Or think of it in a, a law office, at least analogy that all of us are familiar with. TV shows, Tom, I don't know if this is true or not, but anyway, the idea that lawyers work really hard for years and years and years in an effort to become a partner in the law firm. They're striving towards, tirelessly, getting into this partner level of things. Instead, we participate because we are partakers, because we are partners, because we are part of Jesus Christ. And frankly, that is the difference between begrudging participation, no, I've got to go do something at the church again, and joyful participation. Now, let's put it in another uh, analogy from Scripture that I think many of us are familiar with it. Think of it in the description of the slave and the son in terms of what they do, right? The slave is not a partner. He's not a part of the family itself. And so, all that the slave does is as an outsider, trying to curry favor with the family, trying to stay in people's good graces, to stay out of trouble, or perhaps to make as much advancement as is possible within the sphere of being a slave. The son, on the other hand, works as a member of the family, as a part of the family. And therefore, the work isn't just, oh, I've got to go do this. The work is instead a joyful work as a partner in the work and the ministry, the life of a family. Okay, so Paul's foundation then is this. You are the body of Christ. You are the members of Christ. You are partakers of Christ. And because that is then true, the next step follows. You are organically related to one another. The parts are not all the same parts, of course, but they are connected parts. You are, therefore, partners with one another. There is a oneness that exists between the individual members of the body of Christ. Now, I'm not going to go through the entire uh, passage again to show you how 
much the emphasis is there on oneness, but for the sake of it, let me just read again verses 12 and 13 of this, and you can consider it. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. There's a oneness that exists between us. Because we are one with Christ, then there is a oneness that exists between us as the members of Christ. Going back to chapter 10, the verse after uh, 16 that I quoted earlier says this, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Oneness. Let me contrast here this biblical idea of oneness, this biblical idea of organically part of one another and membership. Let me contrast it with two credit card commercials, okay? Two credit card commercials. One is a current credit card commercial. The other one is an older card commercial. So there is a, a credit card commercial that's out these days where one of the credit cards is uh, saying that for every purchase that you make with their credit card, they will give one percent, sorry, not one percent, one cent of that purchase uh, up to a capped amount for fighting a particular disease, for fighting cancer, as it turns out. Uh, which, you know, on the surface of it, okay, it's good when corporations give to various things. You can question the motives of this and all sorts of things. But on the surface of it, we'll say, all right, that's fine. You want to make a gift to this? That's a good thing to do. You've got the money. Go ahead and make uh, the gift to cancer research. Here's the closing line, though, of the commercial. As individuals, we are powerful, but never as powerful as when we come together. As individuals, we are powerful, but never as powerful as when we come together. There is so much wrong with that sentence uh, that I hardly know where to begin, but hold on to it for just a moment, and just to quickly put another commercial, another card in your mind, at least for those of you who are older, uh, put in your mind this, this tagline, membership has its privileges. Got it? If you're over, whatever, 45, you've got that one right away. Membership has its privileges. The illusion in both of these things is similar. They want you to think that you are a part of something significant, that you are connected to others, that you are coming together in some kind of meaningful, satisfying mission that you've got together to commonly use this card. In fact, in the current commercial, there's one scene in the commercial where everybody in the restaurant at the same time whips out their card and holds it up to show that they're doing these things together. Now, I've never seen that happen. <laughs> I have no idea what kind of credit cards you have or don't have, but that's the illusion that's created. The illusion is we're all in this together. See, we've all got our cards here and we're all therefore giving a penny because we're going to pay at this particular restaurant for this food with this card. It's an illusion. It's an illusion of oneness. There's no participation there. There's no linkage that actually exists between people who happen to have the same credit card. There's no membership, or if there is, if there is, it's such a low bar as to be practically meaningless in terms of anything that is significant. But that's not the biblical idea of membership. 
I put this verse on the front. Take a look again at the front of your bulletins, and it goes along with the hymns that we've been singing already today. But this verse from Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews is trying to impress upon us that which we've come into fellowship with. And he's trying to say, listen, listen to what you have come into fellowship with. In other words, the people to whom he was writing are perhaps lamenting the idea that the church doesn't seem quite as grand and glorious as Israel did when we had the temple and when we had all of the services that were associated with the temple, all of the priesthood, all of the vestments. It doesn't seem to be quite as shiny. And the writer of Hebrews says, wait, wait. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And he's trying to say, wait, don't sell the church short. Don't, don't say, well, you know, what, what have we got as the church? He's saying, Open your eyes, open your minds, open your hearts. Do you see what you've come to? You think priestly garments are nice? What do you think angels and festal garments looks like when they're gathered together? That's where we've come. That's what we're a part of. That's where our membership is one with another, to angels in festal garments, to the Lord himself, to Jesus himself, the mediator of a better covenant. Paul makes, I think, an extraordinary statement in Romans chapter 12 in a passage very similar to our 1 Corinthians 12 passage. Let me just read two verses of it. He writes this, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of, not it, individually members of one another, right? He could have easily gone there. We are individually members of the body of Christ. That's essentially the point that he makes in Corinthians. But here, it's we're individually members of one another. We have a one anotherness in our own body life. Lewis opens up the, article, the essay that I referenced earlier by saying this, no Christian, and indeed no historian, could accept the epigram which defines religion as what a man does with his solitude. It was one of the Wesleys, I think, who said that the New Testament knows nothing of solitary religion. We are forbidden to neglect the assembling of ourselves together. Christianity is already institutional, institutional that is organized, gathered together, structured, in its earliest documents. The church is the bride of Christ. We are members of one another. He's quoting there, obviously, that passage from Romans chapter 12. We are members of one another. As much as we might drive one another crazy at times, as much as we might frustrate one another, at times over the years, and even more seriously, as much as we might offend one another. We are members of one another. We're members of the body of Christ. We're members of Christ himself, and we are 
members of each other by way of covenant. We are together forged. We are together welded. And it's always better when we're together. Luther said it this way. I'm going to quote something here. I was preparing for this sermon. I had a note next to this quote that I used it in uh, 2016. So it's been seven years on using this Luther quote. I can use it again. Luther wrote this. At home in my own house, there's no warmth or vigor in me. But in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart, and it breaks its way through, said the pastor who is going on a sabbatical. <laughs> and we'll miss you, so pray for me, because I think that's actually true, and it's true for me too. If then we are parts, organic body, parts of the body of Christ, if then we are parts of one another, partaking of one loaf baptized into one body, then we should participate. We should engage in the discipline of participation. Each part should do its part, or as the ESV at least translates it in Ephesians chapter 4, each part should do its share. That's the way we are to work. Paul's message in 1 Corinthians 12 is wonderfully clear, right? Everybody is a part. Everybody has a part. We are not all the same part, but we are connected parts, and we need all of the parts to participate unto the building up of this body in love. Every part. Now, like the other disciplines in this series, frankly, like any discipline, it's one thing to say that. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to actually live that. Implementing, though, that reality and that vision takes discipline. It takes exercise. It takes training. It takes endurance. It takes devotion and instruction and development to do it. He, Paul is writing these things to the Corinthians because despite the clarity of what we've just said and of what he declared to them, they were getting it mixed up. They were getting the idea of participation mixed up. And they were looking at themselves with respect to participation rather than to one another. How about us? How about you? How is your participation? How is your level of participation? How is your participation in this body given the fact that we are members one of another? This isn't theoretical. Paul isn't just talking here about this is how life is in the invisible church. This is how life is in the visible church. It's to visible local churches that these gifts are entrusted for our ministry, for our building up of this particular body of Christ. Woody Allen gave this now uh, famous quote, 80% of life, or 90%, depending on how you look it up, 80% of life is just showing up. Just showing up. My coffee shop friends got that as the summary of this week's sermon. What's this week's sermon about? Just showing up. Just show up was the sermon. That's a start, and it's a big start. We 
this church, we're not a church with a bunch of endless programs so that if you were to participate in everything that the church did, you would somehow be exhausted and have no time for living your life and doing uh, regular things and a mission with other people. We're not that. We're limited. So participate. Participate in prayer when we come together to pray, but don't come the 5th of July. Don't come then. Participate in worship. Participate in worship morning and evening. Come together with the people of God. Come back to potluck and eat with us. Come to Sunday school, but not for a couple of months. The writer of Hebrews, of course, and you know this, warns against neglecting meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So here's the reality. Here's what he's saying. You can habituate yourself out of participation, right? You start not coming to something for a while, and it will be a habit. And that's just the pattern that you will be in. The good news is you can flip that on its head. If you can habituate yourself out of participation, you can habituate yourself into participation in the life of the church as well and get used to that and have that be the thing that is formative in you. I assure you, the simple fact of your presence will be a blessing to you, and it will surely be a blessing to those who are around you as well. Just showing up, just your presence. So being there is step one. But of course, the church is not a cruise ship, and you are not only a passenger on board and heading towards a destination. We are all part of the crew, as it turns out. When I became a believer, I became a believer through the ministry of Young Life. And uh, that first summer that I was a camper at a particular Young Life camp, uh, I was just a participant, i.e. just a camper. I just went. The next summer that I was there, I was asked to be on work crew in Young Life terms. And at work crew, you did various things, including memorizing your testimony, which I talked about last week so that you can share the gospel with others. Memorizing some verses so that you'd be able to talk to other people who were coming to camp. And so I went and I served on work crew there. And I had an opportunity publicly a couple of times to share my testimony with people. And then I just worked in the kitchen and did whatever I could. The year after that, Lauren and I led songs in our Young Life Club as seniors in high school. Now, I didn't have any idea then that I was called to missions or called to the pastorate at all. But God had me participating, preparing and developing. Today, we said thank you to the Sunday school teachers, to those who have given of their time and their talents and their resources and the mind of Christ seeking to communicate the Word of God to the children of our church, seeking to communicate not only the Word of God but the love of God in the way that they care for the children of the church. They are participating they have gifts, for example, that I don't have. All due respect to children. They have gifts that I don't have. I couldn't do the things that they do. And yet they do it. And that's how the body of Christ functions. And we're saying goodbye to Chip and Maria today. They're participants in the ministry. Chip has led our missions committee for years now. Maria has served 
on the, as the nursery committee chair coordinator, how many of you have had hospitality at Chip and Maria's house? Don't raise your hands. They're participants in the ministry of the church. They exercise the discipline of participation. We said goodbye official, well, finally, to Jenny last week, who said, hey, I, I love doing crafts. Let me just invite people from the church over to my place to have a craft night. At the arts and craft show, there were people who came and they brought their arts and their crafts, both to sell and to show in front of the church. There were others who made cookies to distribute and give out to people who were walking by, and then there were some who just came and were just there, and some who came and gave the cookies and the water to the people who came by. They participated. They participated in the work and the ministry of the church. Those are organized ways of participating, but the less structured ways are of equal or sometimes greater value as well. You can participate through prayer for others, through friendships in the church, through encouragement, through serving people who have needs in the church, through our giving, through meeting and greeting visitors who come into the church and showing hospitality. That's the vision. That is the vision that Paul is trying to cast before the Corinthians. He's trying to say, you got to think of the church in a different way. It's not just about you. It's about organically us being parts, body parts, of Christ, of one another, unto our building up in love and unto our witness and mission into the community that is around us. It is the vow that we took when we covenanted in membership to this body. I asked you, do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? And if you are a member of this church, you said, I do. You said, I do. I submit to you, and more than I submitting to you, the Word of God submits to you, that engagement in the discipline of participation will be blessed by God Almighty unto our growth individually and collectively in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and unto the building up, not just theoretically, but this very portion of Christ's body, of Christ's church. And at the end, when you stand before the Lord, the participation reward that you will get is well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this body. We thank you for this church. Thank you for the countless ways that the people of this church have served over the years. And as you instructed to the Thessalonian church, we pray that we would excel still more. That we would give and give again in our lives. That we would serve and serve again. And love and love again. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Lord, help us. Speak to each one of us. Show us a place. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.